This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. For $5 a month, you can actually see the Thin Green Line interviews and other video content on Patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and feel like you're part of the conversation. Join us. Welcome, everybody, to the Thin Green Line podcast. We are very honored to have a very special guest today. Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North is joining us um, from all over the country. We're all spread out today. And while his introduction, I probably don't need to go into too in-depth because I know you all know him, but I'm going to do my best to condense one and uh, welcome the colonel to the show. Uh, Oliver North is a highly decorated retired U.S. Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel who served in Vietnam during his 22-year military career. He's an American political commentator, military historian, New York Times bestselling author, and host of the Fox News documentary series War Stories for 15 years. Lieutenant Colonel served as president of the National Rifle Association between 2018 and 2019, fighting for our nation's Second Amendment rights, and now hosts his new online series, Real American Heroes. Near and dear to us on the Thin Green Line podcast is Colonel Norris' love for the outdoors, shooting sports, and wildlife conservation, and his help in supporting our conservation officers nationwide in protecting our natural resources from both foreign and domestic threats. Colonel Norris, how are you today? We're very honored to have you on the show. And great to be with you and Wayne. Appreciate you. Thank you, Colonel. (laughs) Well, sir, um, obviously we have so many things uh, to cover from the standpoint of conservation, outdoor awareness, um, border protection, domestic security, all things that you have extensive knowledge in. Um, But on the Thin Green Line, we really get into environmental aspects, being conservationists, Second Amendment, uh, you know, fans and and, uh, been using firearms their whole lives like you have. And just you've spent your entire military, military career and all of your work since retiring from the Marine Corps serving our country. And we are very grateful for that. You just don't stop, sir, since I've known you, (laughs) you know, it's nonstop and it's great to see. And through your books, your war stories documentary, and now uh, real American heroes, your latest online series, you continue to highlight the military law enforcement and other first responder warriors fighting to keep our public lands, our wildlife and, and our inner borders safe. Um, What keeps you in the fight, sir, at this stage um, in your career and when did you develop that love for, for shooting, that love for conservation, and, and how did it all start for you? Well, what keeps me going right now is I got 18 grandkids. And I want them to <laughs> the same kinds of opportunities that we've had, the same kinds of responsibilities that we've had. Don't want big government telling them what to do and where to go and who they can talk to. Want to make sure that they've got the same economic opportunities that we've had. Uh, Fox paid me a hell of a lot more to get shot at than the Marine Corps ever did. I love being a right. U.S. Marine, but uh, I, I grew up as the son of a soldier. Very first hero I ever knew was my dad. Uh, he was the kind of person who didn't talk a whole lot about the things he'd done, and it wasn't until after he died in 1984 that any of us had ever read his citations for the Silver Star and the Bronze Star in World War II. His uh, 95th Infantry Division, he was an infantry officer. 
was part of Patton's Third Army in the attack on Metz, which was one of the bloodiest battles of the European theater. When I look back at those kinds of experiences, it's not all that challenging to come in and say, look, with my, my foundation Freedom Alliance or the books that I write, honoring heroes is something very special to me. And you've heard me say this before, John, but the definition of a hero is not someone who catches a pass in an end zone. It's not some athlete who just set some new record or somebody just climbed a mountain faster than somebody else had ever done. A hero is a person who puts themselves at risk for the benefit of others. And that, that certainly defined my dad. It defines the guys in all of those books that you see behind me that I've written about American heroes. And I've been blessed to be able to keep company with them for the last 75 years since I was born. I just retired again from Fox uh, here in 2018. So 70, 75 years is a, is a good long time to keep company with heroes. <laughs> Amen, Colonel. And it, it's really, really awesome to see. And, and we thank you for that. And I remember when you and I met through, uh, through my latest book, Hidden War, way back beginning of last year, you were running the NRA. You were running around honoring heroes all over the country um, with a mutual friend of ours, cinematographer, Dennis Azato. And just, I don't know anybody who is out there telling those stories of those real hero stories and really getting back to the sacrifice of Americans for Americans than you are. And thank you so much for doing that. And I really want our listeners and our, and our, our viewers coming in that are new to the story to, to realize that it's, it's an incredible story and, and you're doing it every day. And thank you for that. Yeah. That's why I did what I did for that book of yours. because you're <laughs> Thank you so much. And Colonel, so who taught you to shoot? Let's go way back to the, the opening days. Was it dad? Um, did you hone those skills in the Marine Corps, obviously, or, or how, did, how did it start for you? Well, it, you know, the very first firearm that I fired was the, the gift that my dad gave to all my brothers and me. And it was a Savage 22 410 over under. Nice. And of course, the, the 410 is great for rabbit hunting. Uh, we never shot our beagle. Uh, it was <laughs> great to go out after dad had taught us all the right safety things. And taught us how to take it apart and put it back together again, then taught us how to shoot it straight, taught us about the warnings about pointing in any other direction other than the thing you want to shoot. Uh, those are the kinds of things when you grow up that way, it's not all that hard to pass them on to my grandkids or my own children. You know, when, when uh, my, my son turned 14 and I did this with one of his sisters, I now do it with all 18 grandkids. When they turn 14, it's a little older than I was. And I guess my brothers and I compute, we were probably about 11 when we started shooting. And with that beagle, we got a lot of rabbits. And, <laughs> yeah, we did. You know, and as you probably know, there's no limit on rabbits. I mean, it's right. You know, what a great way to start. Game limits, yeah. for their, yeah, game limits are for a reason. That's why I get along with all those wonderful game wardens that I, I've gotten to know over the years. So I give my grandkids a box when they turn 14. The box has a label on it. On the label, it says, if you'll learn to use everything in this box, you'll never be hungry, you'll never be lost, and you need fear nothing. And I will show you how. So you open the box, and the first thing that's in the box is a Holy Bible, and it's already pegged to Proverbs. And so, of course, they, you can see what else is in the box, and they want to move on. <laughs> it just happens. It just happens that there are 31 Proverbs, and there's 31 days and half the months. So today being the 2nd of October, Start on Proverbs 2. When you get back to Proverbs 1, I want you to come and see me and give me a book report, okay, on what you learned. Because Proverbs essentially are Solomon's instructions to his sons. That's what it's all about. And, it, and he's trying to teach them the wisdom that he, he gained over the course of his lifetime. And so they give me the book report. And then I, next thing in the box is a lensatic compass, a real lensatic compass, and a map sheet. And the map sheet just happens to be my wife's farm. And it's the Appalachian Trails 1 to 25,000 scale, uh, you know, with all the right indica indicators on it, with grid squares and the like. And it's got my wife's farm. We live on the Shenandoah River. That's the front yard. The Appalachian Trail is the backyard. And I will show you how to use that map and compass. And it just happens because I learned how to do this in the Marines. There's ammo cans welded to engineer stakes out in the woods with notes in them. And you open up the little can and you bring back that note that was in there. So I, I know you've actually been there. And there are terrain features that are relatively easy to see on a 1 to 25,000 square. So I take them out and I show them how to do that, both daytime and nighttime. And then the third item in the box is a 20-gauge shotgun. It's a Remington 870. 
It's a youth <laughs> gun. And, and I, the note on that says, before you, do, before you shoot this thing, you're going to show me that you can take it apart and put it back together again in daylight. You don't have to do it blindfold. Then I'll show you how to clean it. And when you show me how, how while well, you've cleaned it, and then I'll take you out and show you how to shoot it safely. And so it turns out to be about a three-month process of getting through all that. And I can tell you right now, all uh, just 13, uh, yes, 12, all 12 of those who now have one of those shotguns can outshoot me on the clay pigeons. Mm. <laughs> I, taught them, I taught them everything that they know and apparently too much of what I know. <laughs> oh, that's an incredible story, Colonel. And I just uh, think of how we all learn from, from dad, from granddad, you know, from those mentors growing up. But I haven't seen such a comprehensive uh, introduction into conservation and firearm safety and ethics and making it so fun and exciting. You and know, navigation. it's almost like your, your grandkids are out there geocaching and, you know, compass and map reading and land nav, and they're building skills that they might not even know are that critical yet. You know, that's super cool. What a, what a, what a needed experience for all of them. Well, as you and I have talked before, there may come a day when the yes. GPS, you know, I got, here's, here's my GPS, right? It's, it's yep. built into this phone, right? It, there may come a day when the GPS system isn't there anymore. And so yep. I, want, I want my youngins to know how to read a map, how to get in a direction, how to go in a direction where they want to go rather than being taken there by somebody else. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lost art. We're relying on so much technology, right, Colonel? And I noticed this, you know, on our special operations unit, MET and other special forces, military colleagues I work with, you know, all over the world, we, we have those great systems now, but um, that map reading and that natural land nav and trail route, uh, you know, running and, and man tracking sign, animal tracking sign is becoming a lost art. It really is. And it's neat you're doing it with your grandkids. And uh, when this stuff does go down, if it goes down, especially in today's times, and we're going to talk more about that in a little bit, it is critical for sure. Yeah, that's a huge segue. Huge segue into the, our, our next question, Colonel. And uh, let me say it's an honor and privilege, too, to, to be on this podcast with you. And thank you for taking your time. And when my son listens to this, he's going to be in pure shock that he's going to look at me and say, are you going to do that to me? <laughs> There's my hidden Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your first grandchild that you did, too, probably had that look on his face, too. And he's passed on down the line, you know, the, his knowledge. But the first one must have been a shocker. (laughs) Well, they they all now come to expect it. And I was, you know, I was just giving them to the boys. Well, we know one of our, one of our granddaughters, uh, you know, I grew up in an all kind of all boy environment, right? Mm. Spent my life with a bunch of guys. And uh, the the young gal who's now in college said to me, you gave my brother one of those. Do I get mine? (laughs) <laughs> she got it, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> got it. Colonel, with everything going on now with COVID-19, it's brought the citizenship to, I think, understanding that maybe we need to be more self-reliant. Guns are flying off the shelves. Ammo, you can't find it in stores. Food prices are going up. Uh, certain segments of, of the country. What, what can they do to be more prepared, and what is our greatest threat? Well, look, I, I, first of all, we, we live out in the country. Uh, so we're not in a condo where the elevators can stop with a hurricane. Uh, what we do know is that there's going to be a time, even if it's a natural disaster, where you've got to have things like a food supply that's, that's useful. doesn't pay to have frozen food when the power's out. Now, we've got generators and all that, but eventually those things run out of fuel as well. Mm. If, for, if, for example, the Chinese, the communist Chinese, or the Iranians, or the North Koreans, hit the United States with an electronic, uh, electromagnetic pulse, which is entirely possible with nuclear weapons. That could, for over large segments, if not the entire country, large segments of the country would be without power, not just for a few days, but for a year or more. And so it pays to have some form of food that is shelf-ready, that all you have to do is add water. And pretty much, even though you might be in a condo with no electricity, pretty much water is available. If We've got cases of water stored that we rotate, and just in case, I mean, it only makes sense. And we got a river, of course, it's our front yard. Wouldn't want to drink out of it necessarily till you boiled it, or at least cleaned it up with some iodine or from chlorine tablets. What I'm saying to you is proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. I mean, I'll just put it the way the Marines do. And, yeah. and the idea is 
you got to have the situational awareness to know what you're what you're preparing for and what the consequences would be for your family and you. And my idea of doing that kind of stuff is it, it doesn't take a whole lot. You don't have to do it every day. You don't have to have you know five years worth of supply of food. Though I know people who've got multi years stored up in those those five five gallon buckets. Now, mm. That's the kind of thing that I think just makes common sense in the world that we're in right now. And as the world changes, as look at. Just days ago, the president of the United States came down with COVID, right? So when you look at the, if the president can get COVID, anybody can get COVID. And the the idea behind protecting ourselves from that is, you know, wear a mask, wash your hands, make sure that if your temperature goes up, you get medical attention. Those, Those are the kinds of things, again, situational awareness and having a plan to deal with it. Mm, Thank you. Colonel, when we, when we talk about the COVID and we talk about what the world is facing right now, and we think, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a new book coming up here in a little, uh, shortly, but survival is one thing, but what are the other domestic threats you see going on nationally? And obviously preparedness, like, like Wayne just mentioned, um, but especially in our urban centers and our kids in our urban centers that are um, that when the power goes out, there there isn't a supply of water, there isn't a supply of food. Um, you know, we're obviously seeing some looting, we're seeing some rioting, we're seeing some divisiveness on the left and the right right now. Um, that's been a big, big change and a big eye-opening awareness for the public through COVID now, especially in our urban population centers. And what yeah. what can you say to that and, and where we're going in the direction for preparedness? Those of us that don't live in the country, which the three of us are very fortunate to, to be able to do. Well, you know, I mean, one of the things about the fact that firearms, <clears throat> you know, forgive me, my, my frog, the frog in my throat has gotten worse. <laughs> there, there's, look, there's no doubt firearms are flying off shells and their ammunition is hard to get. I, you and I have carried firearms all our lives, right? The idea of getting a firearm and having never fired one before and getting no instructions on it is nuts. Mm. It's more dangerous than walking out in the streets in a place like Portland. And so what you want to make sure you're doing is, is something with, the, with real common sense, go out and get some training. Most places, you know, in, in Virginia that sell firearms either have a connection with or have their own firing range and they have instructors. Get the instruction, the safety instruction, how to use it. Hell, I've seen people buying firearms that don't even know what caliber they're buying and they have to go to the clerk and say, well, can you point to me a box of what ammo I need for this? Yeah. It's the kind of, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Number two, the urban environment in America today is a mess, right? What do, what do most Americans want for their families? They want safety of their home, their business, the streets of their city. You don't want to get the, the idea of driving into somewhere like Portland when you don't have to makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Thank you, dear. My lovely wife just brought me water. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> mm. She was listening to how raspy I was getting. The bottom line of it is situational awareness goes a long ways to saving lives. Number two, proper prior planning gives you the idea of, I need to get a firearm. You also need to make sure you're getting training on how to use that firearm safely, how to keep it secure. You don't want one of my, my, I don't want my grandkids walking around and finding a firearm that's not properly secured. So we've got safes, gun safes. We have the kind of safe where if you need it in the middle of the night, you put your handprint down on top of it and it snaps open. But by the way, you have to change the batteries in every year. Those are the yeah, right. No, look, I mean, see, but it's common sense. And, and people who just drive into a place like Seattle or Portland or Minneapolis or, or anywhere else where you're having these kinds of disturbances, you got to be a little nuts to go out there looking for trouble. Yeah, for sure. And um, to, to that point, Colonel, one thing we've seen, and, and Wayne and I talked about this on previous shows, and as bad as COVID's been, um, between mm-hmm. April and May, there was a 25 to 30% increase in hunting license sales, which most states, as you know, require a hunter education class. Yep. Um, some are online, some aren't physically, you know, hands-on with firearms to get a little bit 22 training or get on a rimfire or, or get on a shotgun and break a clay or two, but um, especially in COVID. But it lends itself to that being required and more people getting awareness beyond just, Oh, the world's going to crap. I'm going to go buy that gun. I don't know the caliber about, I'm going to put it in a safe and I'm going to be a train wreck if I have to use it. Um, but we've seen this increase in, uh, especially from non-hunters, non-consumptive users, people that didn't have the background in conservation that, that you and I and Wayne and, and people like us have had. And it's been encouraging to see 
but the training aspect of it is still significantly lacking. And we're curious to what your thoughts are on going forward, you know, um, is that wave of enthusiasm for self-reliance and conservation and, and, and hunting license sales going to, going to maintain? Hopefully we hope it will. Certainly we want to see uh, conservation thrive from our standpoint, but sure. it has been encouraging thus far to see and wondering what you're seeing on that realm. Well, many years ago, uh, when we first moved out to the farm, <clears throat> one of our neighbors had a, uh, had a herd of Angus cattle and Betsy, my wife has a herd of Angus cattle as well. Cause living on the side of the mountain, they all have, you know, the legs on the left side are shorter than the ones on the right. <laughs> and actually had one of his cows shot by a quote hunter who oh, didn't have a license, but he was adamant that he was going to learn how to do it. A person living in Washington, DC. And of course called the game warden. It's not hard to track down. And of course you realize once he shot it, there was no way he could pick it up. Wouldn't know how to quarter it even if he, you know, had the right to shoot something that large. Look at, I, I, I say to myself, we've got a garden. We can grow, we grow vegetables. We grow cows. We're, we're going to eat fine in the midst of something else, something terrible that happens. And the bottom line of it is we're overrun with deer. And yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> but, but like everything else, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wing hunter as well. And so like everything else, there's limits to how much you can take, how much you can secure, and the noise you hear is a U.S. Coast Guard helicopter flying right over our heads. It's a good sound. I, I like see. that. Yeah. <laughs> there he goes. Sorry, sorry for the noise. That's quite all right. <laughs> I'm looking at the Atlantic Ocean. Just to, that's that's why that's why you heard that sound. Nice. And it's that must be yeah. It's 11:15. He's a little late this morning. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming back. I wonder if he's listening. Anyway, uh, we'll deal with it. I, I actually think they're doing a drill right outside. Well, nice to know we got some coasties, you know, working sorties right over you, Colonel. That's a good <laughs> feeling to have next to the ranch. Well, Not a bad problem. At, as you know, there's, there's green air stations on either side of us. So we, every once in a while, somebody will come by with something, and then they'll see the flag out in front, and you'll do, you know, not with a helicopter, but with a fixed wing, they'll do a rollover and just, you know, you know they're waving. Yeah. Yeah. That's Great awesome. to see in here. I know uh, in my in my old days living in California, based out of Silicon Valley, we had Moffett Field and we had the 129th and the Payhawk yeah. Squadron just flying sorties over over the tech capital. And you can imagine how how loud those are. And then using those birds for med operations was just, uh, man, it was just great. I mean, to talk about a patriotic connection in the tech capital. So I know the feeling very loud, very distracting, but, but very awesome to see in here. Mm-hmm. All right. As you're saying, sir. It's the sound of freedom, our tax dollars at work. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he comes again. Actually, it looks like they're going after a buoy that's out there, and he's he's now got a wingman. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to put up with those guys. I'm sorry. That's quite no all worries. right. We it's, we still got you loud and clear. It's a it's a nice backdrop for sure. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> but yeah, Colonel, to your point on on the on the hunting aspect, that's exactly what Wayne and I talk about from a being being uh, retired game wardens is. Everybody getting these licenses, everybody going out to learn hunting, um, prep survival and everything else, and poaching kind of going up mm. in quantity. And we have been seeing that. Um, we've been seeing, you know, national forests destroyed, gates cut, uh, animals being poached. Obviously, like we talked about a few weeks ago on your show, the cartels running rampant on tainted weed production and meth and fentanyl and everything else because there's just so little law enforcement presence in the backcountry right now. Um, and we're, we're kind of relying on getting that message out to future conservationists to be our force multiplier, to be our eyes and ears, because we're, we're so thin on that thin green line. So encouraging more hunting, more uh, ethical, legal conservationists out there with a love of wildlife like we all share uh, is encouraging to see. And we've never needed more of it. And we're just hoping it, it continues to grow through these trying times. Well, it's the right thing to do. You know, I've got a great relationship with the game wardens out in Western Virginia where we live. And, and I'll tell you, the game wardens are at risk in, in some of these, some of these poachers shoot back. Now, yes. we've, we've also got the, the helicopters that we see out our way either are coming off of or landing at Mount Weather, which is the undisclosed location that was given away by the Clinton administration, by the way, told the, told the Russians exactly what it was or what it is. And, and we're, we're about, as the crow flies, nine miles from the West Virginia border. Well, because of the lack of law enforcement, and think about this, we now got movements all across the country to defund the police, 
defund sheriff's office, defund game wardens. And so the, the flights you see down on the river are DEA flights that are looking for, very often, game wardens have spotted the marijuana plants. They've spotted the blue lights, that are, or the ultraviolet lights that are going the stuff at night. And it's, it's a DEA operation, but not nearly enough to deal with the kinds of problems that you guys are seeing out there with armed bands out there cultivating, harvesting, moving it, transporting it, and delivering it, and distributing it. I mean, it's it's a very serious problem. Oh, doubt when crime yeah, goes. Yeah, we, we we can. Sorry, when you going? Up just when crime goes into the woods, that's that's our operation area, and so much of it does. You know, it's sneaking across the border or growing remotely, no matter what. And here we have one game warden covering so many square miles and running into incidents, and it's it's a common yeah. thing. Uh, the police in the woods. And uh, like you said, then we transfer it over to like the DEA when we find those big grows. And my grows are much smaller than John's grows, but, and they took much of a pro, more proactive than, you know, the, the East Coast does, but they certainly had a, a bigger farm than we did. So, Colonel, but uh, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, th- th- thanks for recognizing that because I, I think a lot of the citizenship doesn't, unless you are in the sportsman or understand what a game warden is sometimes other people have no idea that you know they, the common question among game wardens from people is why do you carry a gun uh and they think you're a park ranger or something and then when you, you fill them in they, they get a bit greater understanding of why we carry guns and we probably use them more than any other law enforcement out there uh discharging them for all kinds of reasons but sure. um but thanks for recognizing that i admire what you do guys mm. oh you did yeah yeah. And Colonel, you know, we <laughs> moving on to another subject that's near and dear to all of us. And you and I have not had the, the pleasure of getting to talk about this yet in, in our other projects. But we talked about canine Phoebe in my last interview with you for Real American Heroes, um, one of our amazing law enforcement canines, you know, working on our spec yeah. ops team over there in California. And you've worked with so many, as have I, um, some more dogs that have just been amazing overseas with our mainline and special operations military forces, but you're a dog lover too. And you've got quite a, quite a dog in Casey I've heard. And uh, it turns out that <laughs> I hear she's by your side all the time and she's yeah, a heck she's of a bird dog. And she's right she's underneath kind of the- my desk right now. <laughs> <laughs> her ears perked up when you heard her name. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, like uh, like our personal Labradors that Wayne and I have, um, you know, they're not going to bite anybody, but they're sure going to love the family yeah. and protect the family yeah. and smell stuff I've out. I've got a neighbor who's just started to mow his lawn. I'm going to close the window. Okay. Hang on. Okay. Sounds you got good. it. Yeah. And just for the record, John, German Shepherd and German Wirehair Pointer is what I have. No lab. Love labs. Oh, just okay. don't have one. German Shepherd, German Wirehair Pointer. So, so <laughs> Colonel, tell uh, us. Uh, let me just tell you, the great thing about Casey is Casey's around 31 pounds. <clears throat> and I, I've hunted with particularly sea ducks in a canoe with a lab. There's two things you can guarantee about that. One, when the lab gets out of the canoe to get the bird, you're going to get wet. Mm-hmm. The lab, the lab <laughs> oh, yeah. comes back to the canoe with the bird you're going to get even wetter because you're going to go over trying to get the lab back in. The great thing about Casey being 31 pounds and a Boykin Spaniel and the best retriever I've ever had. Best thing about Casey, who's now looking up at me saying, why are you talking about me? I'm not even- <laughs> best thing about Casey, when she goes over the side, I don't tip over. When she comes back with a duck in her bills, in her mouth, I take the duck out and then put my arm underneath the gunnel, underneath her front legs and flip her back in and I don't get wet again. So wow. I can't, I, there's no dog I could recommend more strongly than, than, a, than a Boykin. First of all, they're small, they're light, their noses, they're closer to the ground than the English wire or a lab. And so they smell, they, they've got a great sense of smell. And it's one of the brightest dogs yet. They have not yet bred the brains out of the South Carolina state dog, <laughs> thankfully. <Wow. laughs> the South Carolina state dog. You know what dog, I mean, man. No. Uh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So, Colonel, how, how old is Casey? How many years have you had Casey's her in 10. the field? And Wow. And, and she's been hunting well since she was about seven or eight months old. That's great. And uh, actually, she was a gift from a, a fellow uh, who, who was famous in Virginia for breeding horses and hounds. His name was Turner Reuter. And Turner bred her. She was born in, in Aiken, South Carolina, because our daughter was riding with the U.S. equestrian team. 
and Turner had a bunch of the horses that he'd, he'd bred. He was a vet, probably in his 90s. And, and Casey was the runt of the litter. And I had said on air, probably with Hannity, I was on a mountaintop. Our daughter had sent me a, a, a message on, on one of these things, right? Only that's just, it's the, the satellite version of it. And it was the fact that Max, the wonder dog of the lab, had died. And I, and I guess it was Hannity or whoever the host was. I said something like, well, how was your day today? And I said, well, it was great. We, we went with a special ops team to do such and such and uh, probably drug interdiction out of, uh, out of Afghanistan and into Pakistan. And uh, other than the fact that my dog died, it's been a great day. Well, Turner heard that. Our daughter didn't because she didn't watch me on TV. The next morning, there's this little run of the litter. He says, see that little dog? <laughs> that dog's got an overbite and... It's the run of the litter. You can just give that dog to your dad. And so she brought it home. And I got back a few months later. There's this lovely puppy already housebroken. And it's a natural hunter. And so we're out at a dog training place near Middleburg, Virginia. And Turner's there. And he's watching this little dog hunt into the wind every time, kicking up birds, looking at me. Are you, gonna, you want me to get it? I'll flush it for you. And so <laughs> he looked at me. He says, is that that damn dog I gave your daughter? I said, yes, sir. He says, I'll give you five grand for that dog right now. I said, you couldn't give me, I'll give you 10 grand. I think he was pulling my leg. Yeah. He's getting close. <laughs> she, she just turned 10. She just turned 10 here this past month. And, and she's a terrific animal. I mean, really is. And a good buddy on top of it. And it, on top of that, if it's cold, she'll jump right into bed with you. If it's a one dog night, you're fine. If it's a oh, dog night, funny. you have to find something else. Well, that's incredible. And, you know, Colonel, it's interesting. She seems to be like that one in a million dog in your family. And uh, like you and and, and Wayne and I have both gone through this. We've had dogs our whole lives, but Mm -hmm. that there's always that one, you know, and you just you just count every day that's so special. And and, and right now, my retired canine uh, lab, Apollo, she's an English lab, so she's 51 pounds, makes a little less of a splash, but still more than (laughs) Casey does. Um, But, you know, she she just turned... Oh yeah. And she just yeah. turned 11 and she was up in uh, the yak wilderness with us just yesterday, putting up trail cameras, setting up blinds, looking, you know, monitoring stuff yeah. and climbing Hills. And she's at the bottom of the Hill looking at me like, dad, I, are we really going to go up there? Or are you coming back? Cause she's smart enough to know I'm putting a camera and I'm probably coming back and she's getting a little tired, oh, yeah. but oh, wait, it's just yeah. one of the, it, yeah, it's just one of those things where we just we savor every day, and it's just so hard when they leave us, you know. And I, uh, I just feel like you got such a blessed dog in Casey. She sounds amazing. Hope to see her someday. What's that old expression? In, in every man's life, there has to be one best dog. Yeah. So you know, the, I I tell guys, we just lost a dear friend of ours that we've hunted with for years, and uh, not to COVID. It, it actually, it was uh, uh, diabetes that got him. Ooh. But in, in and look, you know, the Marine Corps is, is very proud of the fact that there's a hymn that says the streets of heaven are guarded by the United States Marines, right? And so I told <laughs> all my Marine buddies that are getting ready to go, I said, if you get there before I do, you tell the good Lord, I really appreciate the idea of guarding the streets of heaven. But if it's okay with him, I would like to be in charge of the doghouse. Because we also know that in my father's house, there are many mansions and every dog goes to heaven. All dogs go to heaven, right? So... <laughs> with the connection yeah i just want to be in charge of the doghouse yeah Uh, that's great colonel to bring a different breed into i'm a i'm a 4-h uh leader in the dog club so i've been Ah. dealing with that my son actually shows the german wire hair pointer in 4-h so to bring in the the boys in spaniel i was actually trying to google it uh to to get a little lead on it because he'll be loving to listen to this to to bring that another breed into and i'll get the 4-h kids to listen to it too just to 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 know all over north has a boys in spaniel which is another breed that you don't experience a lot it's it's actually spelled b-o-i-k-i-n and it's and it's it is the South Carolina state dog. Okay. There's a dear friend of mine, Lieutenant General. Who, by the way, the pre- president just mentioned him here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin was the head of U.S. Special Forces, and and a great friend of the president's as well. And he, after seeing my Boykin Spaniel, he went out and got a Boykin <laughs> Spaniel. He's about eight inches taller than Casey because she was the run of her life. You sell it really well. When you when you talk, I mean, I just went youth duck hunting with my son this last weekend, and what you just described happened. So <laughs> I'm like, go. boy, if we could downsize, that sounds really good. 
Yeah. And they don't eat as much either. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm oh. already thinking of maybe maybe looking at uh, a boy the, the next dog. And I've Talk about promoting a dog life. breed, <laughs> Colonel Oliver North and boys yeah. of spaniels. So, uh, no, that, that would be great. If we could get you in the White House, we could make it the you know the dog of the White House too, because it hasn't had that uh, credit yet. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fact, it's a relatively new breed. I mean, if the if the story is straight. The, the Boykin goes back to about 1900. And again, there's, there's very specific characteristics of this particular Spaniel, like markings, the tiny white stripe on the chest and, and no other markings, the, the way the eyes look at you. Boykins, by the way, will look you right in the eye when you're talking to him. I mean, mm. most other dogs kind of look away, right? Mm-hmm. But a Boykin will literally look you right in the eye. She is sitting right, I'd turn the camera upside down, but then I wouldn't get it back right. But the bottom line of it, she's sitting right beneath my feet looking at me because she's heard her name mentioned so many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smart dog. Like John mentioned it first and she picked right up. Taking her out on, on a dove hunt, for example, first week of uh, September was beginning of dove season here. This, you know, it lasts a week. And the limit, by the way, this year was 15 in West Virginia. Oh, went up, yeah. Took a bunch of nice. women guys over there with us. And, uh, you know, just I love watching these guys shoot. Both, yeah. when, the, when we're standing there together, okay, there's three of us. I've got two legs. I'm the only guy there with two legs. And these guys are tremendous hunters. And, and li- didn't quite limit out. The limit was 15. And I breasted them for him. And I put it in, they were flying back down to Tennessee. And I put it in, a, in, a, in a, one of those little portable bags with about a pound of dry ice. Stayed frozen the whole, the whole way back. He, I gave him the recipe for t- t- hooking up the uh, dove breasts, or cooking them up, and making sure that you don't overcook them. But they're just they're, they're addictive like potato chips if you do it right. They are. Yeah, yeah. Nice. She, she was magnificent. She'll sit there. You know, you're sitting. It's it's the only kind of hunting you, besides turkey hunting where you just sit still, right? And you could just see her alert when there was a flock of birds coming. None of the three of us would. I was hunting with two of these guys right beside me. And none of us would hear the birds, but Casey would. And she'd alert. You see the ears go up, and then she'd stand there, and you see the tail start. Come on, I, shoot one for me. I, I need to get it. And she's wagging her tail like crazy. Aren't you? Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing yeah. like seeing a dog work. Uh, they just they love to that's do what they were right. bred to do. <clears throat> oh, that's incredible. Well, you know, Wayne, that's what makes it so hard for the military working dogs, the dogs that you guys have mm. used, the canines. When you lose one, it's a it's a heartbreaking experience. It really is. Yeah. In many cases, they're just like family. They are, no so, doubt. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It is losing <laughs> a brother or a sister on the team, Colonel, for sure, um, man. And we felt it, it, it. You hit that perfectly. Um, well, we we hope that. Uh, curious if Casey has any brothers, younger brothers and sisters that are still millennials <laughs> to have some pups. <laughs> yeah, but she has six when this story. She had six pups. <laughs> all of them went to wounded guys. Oh, all that's perfect. Veterans. And she is rated oh, as a therapy dog. Mm-hmm. Nice. You know, since we're talking common sense, I used to we used to go out pheasant hunting every year. In fact, this is the first year that I've not gone, and it's only because of COVID. And so what United Airlines does, if you've got a certified therapy dog, it can ride next to you in the in the airplane, right? And I figured out I was shipping her out in a kennel box underneath, you know, in the in the cargo compartment. And so I got her rated as a therapy dog. I got the it's not hard to get certified if you're me as a crazy man. So you need the dog with you, right? <laughs> well, okay, so I'm paying for my seat, right? Instead, you're not allowed, by the way, you can't use your miles. At least you couldn't. I don't know the new rules, but the rules used to be you could not use your miles for baggage, right? You had to pay for the baggage. It was like 300 bucks. Well, now it's $9 for her to sit right next to me. Oh, that's awesome. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this is my miles plus the landing fees. And you get therapy yeah. all the way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A little nervous about flying, are you, sir? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what, what, one, one last quick question on Casey, Colonel. Have you ever uh, tried her on mountain grouse? How is she? She, I bet, I bet she'd be an amazing grouse dog. We are well, full she, of our, she is. our grouse season just opened up up here, and it's it's been incredible. Well, in fact, my buddies are right now out hunting sharp-tailed grouse and pheasants in South Dakota. That's nice. where I want it. That's where I wanted to be. But, yeah, my son-in-law, the MD, does not want me to kill his mother-in-law by bringing COVID back home. Yeah, understandable. Learned. Yeah, so it's well, uh, well, 
Well, Colonel, when the world is safe again to travel, feel free to come up in northwest Montana and bring her for some uh, mountain grouse because we've got some spots. It'd be a real treat to see her work, man. That's awesome. It, it is great to watch her work. Yeah. It really is. So, Colonel, one thing we've found, I think, and I would like you to comment this, service members that are getting out of whether it's the Marines or some branch of service coming into being a game warden uh, just uh, I, I think the ones that we get I, I'm pretty excited about that I'd like to promote that and uh, get your feelings on that and what kind of transition that might be well you know I think generally the, the numbers in law enforcement are about 25 to 30 percent depending on where, where you are in the world where, where you are in the country rather uh, of federal state and local law enforcement are veterans and, and most of them didn't come from a military police kind of background. They came because they understand service, law enforcement, and, and game wardens, same thing. The best part about being a game warden is you're not tied to a daggone desk for half your day. And you, and you don't have to, quite frankly, you don't have to walk you know, around in a, drive around in a, in a patrol car. You can go out in the woods and hike around and make sure that you're enforcing the game warden laws. Mm. Uh, I, two of the game wardens I know very well in West West Virginia are both for, both Marines, obviously, because that's probably why I got to know them so well. But it's, it, if you love the outdoors, and I do, you can't beat it. Now, at 77, they're probably not going to hire me as a game warden, but <laughs> if, there's openings, if there's openings, I'll take one. Mm. No, hey, no you t- know, Colonel, we, we noticed um, kind of on, on that line, we noticed when the game warden story started to get, get told a little better. Um, through things like Wild Justice and Northwoods Law, the two reality TV shows that Wayne and I were both involved in in two separate states. Um, you know, the Patriot Profiles Life of Duty series, our mutual friend Rick Stewart um, produces. He did a couple documentaries before and during our Met team forming up. And when military veterans got to see that, um, especially Special Forces guys, they said, wow, you know, we didn't realize there were so many domestic threats to our environment, especially on the cartel side and, and different types of poaching. And uh, we were we were getting Marine Corps uh, veterans coming right out, calling me with questions. Um, hey, man, I'm in Colorado. I don't know that I want to go to California. Does Colorado have a team like California, blah, 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 or I'm in Virginia, I'm in Montana. Yeah. And it was great to see. And by the time when, when we were forming up MET in the California Game Warden Force, we had a retired SEAL lieutenant, two Marine Corps veterans, Army, uh, you know, Ranger veteran on the Sheriff's Department, same thing. So we were getting skill sets of guys that had been in the fray overseas and now they were hunting domestically for something they cared near and dear about not only our public safety but most of our military vets are hunters and conservationists sir so they were like i did not know game wardens did that type of job and that validated our profession but it also brought an added element of skill sets and um capabilities to the game warden job and it's all been because of outreach and things that you've been doing as well so it's been great to see and we're we're trying to get more and more of those men and women back into into these particular conservation jobs for that reason then green line yeah and i think the <laughs> yeah. training actually probably mimics better being a game warden than it does uh your typical local police department state police department it seems to be the more the, the environment that the the marines work in the, the military works in well yeah i mean it's, it, and, and it look okay, it calls for great responsibility mm-hmm. number two accountability number three you're, you're very often out there just by yourself, as you yes. know. I mean, the, the MET teams and that those kinds of operations are, require a lot of teamwork. But very often, the game wardens that I see out in northwestern Virginia are single. They're solo. Mm. And so you've got to have, a, again, great situational awareness. Number two, great self-confidence. Number three, respect for others. Look at understanding. I did not know. I did not know uh, that in Virginia, at least, when you're out dove hunting, that you have to keep all of your doves together. So if you picked up five over here and five over there and don't, and can't say they're close enough to me that I can account for them, that's right. subject to a fine. I did not know that. Now, I didn't get a fine for it, but the game warden very kindly explained that to me and a bunch of my buddies because, as you know, you surround a dove field of about five or six acres. You better have people posted all over the place not within pellet range of a number seven right? shot, number eight shot, right? <laughs> yep. Because you see some pretty crazy stuff, and then you realize, yeah, it's falling way short. It's 400 yards away. But those kinds of safety things are the kinds of things that game warden explained to people, game wardens explained to people on things like the first day of dove season. Absolutely. We had two out there with us, this, and there were probably 250 guys hunting somewhere near, you know, near, near enough to be able to see them. Yeah. And thankfully, nobody hurt. Right. And, and a good limit this year. 
Nice. No, I, I'll give you a, a, a complaint. Maryland's limit on water birds, migrating fowl, right? One bird. Think of wow. all the guides and all the guides that were put out of work by that. Yeah. And that's because the Eastern Flyway for water birds is almost empty nowadays. I mean, where I am sitting here looking out at the Atlantic Ocean, this time of year, you would normally see large flocks of migrating Canada geese and all kinds of different ducks. The only ones I have seen so far since we've been here four days are cormorants, mm. you know, the big black bird. Yeah. Here's a game. Here's a game warden question for you. <laughs> the automobile that has a cat on its hood is called what? Jaguar. jaguar right? The Jaguar. Yeah. <laughs> jaguar. Jaguar. What? What automobile brand had the cormorant as its hood ornament? <laughs> One that didn't sell well. <laughs> it was the Packer. Oh, was it? was the Packer. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only bird I think. That, uh, I'm, uh, any of your viewers or, or your pod, pod listeners, tell me if I'm wrong. I think huh. it's the only bird that's ever been a hood ornament. Interesting. Let me know. Yeah, I, I think you're right. We're going to have to research that. I've We've seen never seen that. In, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on a barrier island right now, and I've seen four cormorants since we've been. Uh, no, and cormorants don't travel in, in great big crowds. I mean, they, there's no. three or four, maybe five or six. I've seen four in the swamp behind us. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Very distinctive bird, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. And we Very do black. see a lot of them, probably because we don't shoot them. <laughs> well, yeah, well, they are an endangered species. Mm. Um, I don't think they're on anybody's you know, list for, for being able to hunt them. And, they, and the way they fish, you know, they've got an upturned hook mm. on their bill. And so you'll see them snap up with a fish on it. And if he's really good, it's a little fish. To snap it up, it'll fly up in the air, gone. One, one big bite, unlike an eagle, which will you know, have it in its claws or all kinds of, of different seabirds that, that migrate through here. And you do see an occasional, you know, the, the idea of, of a falcon being able to do something like that is wonderful to watch. You just sit out there on that dune and watch them swoop down, grab, grab, yes. grab a meal and fly ashore with it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible to see. We have an abundance of bald eagles and osprey here on the Kootenai River yeah. um, in Lincoln County, where I'm at, Montana, Colonel. And um, I mean, coming from California and making the, the the bump up here, you know, with family that have been here forever and seeing birds of that size and nests of that size and what they do to the you know rainbow trout coming right off the river and the size of fish they pull out is it's a magnificent sight to see. It really is. Um, but but turn into a. I have a little interesting question. When when you reviewed Hidden War, you were instrumental in helping expose this drug cartel threat to our American resources like wildlife and waterways with this tainted weed, these EPA banned poisons that are going on, this tainted cannabis. But also talking about these same cartels being responsible for fentanyl production, the synthetic heroin that's killing thousands, if not more, especially uh, Midwest and back east. Um uh, you know, the, the new, uh, the methamphetamine production, human trafficking, gun running, and all of that. And now we find out that all those precursor chemicals are coming from China to fuel the cartels poisoning of our American public with these illicit drugs and destroying our environment. And then like, like we just learned recently, uh, um, president and, uh, the first lady now have tested positive for COVID. We know the origins of COVID, um, we have some real threats overseas and you have just published through your publishing group, a new book called uh, America's number one adversary that deals with the threat of China. And it's, it's very timely for this interview. I'm glad this came up. We, can you tell us more about the book, what sure. we're seeing in the content of that book and, and dive into that subject a little bit? Cause so many people in our public just don't realize how extreme this threat is. Well, the People's Republic of China, led by Xi Jinping, he's right there on the cover of the book, right over my uh, my shoulder here. Xi Jinping represents China's 21st century effort at world domination. And the tools that they use against their own people, this, this is not a complaint against the Chinese people. This is the communist Chinese government that's doing this. And what, what they're about to do is to try to dominate the rest of the world. And I, I look at that experience and I say to myself, the, the precursor chemicals, the number one drug exporting activity on the planet is communist China. And they yes. do that because it, it debilitates all the other countries where you end up with people with serious addictions. If you look at that kind of activity by these guys, it's devastating. And it's only one of the many things that they're doing. 
They're theft of intellectual property. They're having a hell of a time trying to, trying to create an aircraft similar to the F-22, and certainly not even the F-35, but the F-22. And, they, and they've crashed a whole bunch of them. What they're now doing is they're reverse engineering with it, reverse engineering the information they've stolen from U.S. manufacturers. And so the president, God bless him, reacted to that when it was first revealed in an, in an article by these three authors, John Poindexter, Bud McFarlane, and Richard Levine. Those, those three friends of mine were all senior officials in the Reagan administration. They go all the way back. And so one of the things that, that they've identified is that communist China is manufacturing more surveillance equipment than any other combination of countries on the planet. It's ability to listen. Everybody remember TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that everybody was concerned about is whether the communist Chinese government is collecting that information on American citizens. And they are. If you look back to that terrible explosion that occurred in Beirut, there's thousands of different images from Beirut of that explosion going off. Why? Mm -hmm. Because there were that many cameras at every street corner, four and five, six cameras, and it captured that. So you've got all these different images. What they're trying to do is keep track of who you're talking to. Why are you talking to them? Who are you meeting with? And they follow people literally by surveillance equipment all over. The, and some people say, well, that's how you're going to detect bad things happening. My grandchildren do not need to grow up in a police state. The, right. what, these, what the communist Chinese are doing around the world is making all of that security surveillance equipment available because they want a totalitarian regime in those places that will support them. China's trade policy up until President Trump was such a, was, was a disaster for the United States. For 40 years, people in America, senior government officials, both political parties, those folks were aiding and abetting communist China because everybody felt sorry for them. They need a break. Allowing them in the World Trade Organization, which the Obama administration did, was a terrible mistake. All of those kinds of trade deals that were done by prior administrations with communist China gave them the ability to try to dominate the world's economy. Their Belt and Road Initiative, which is all over Africa, is creating access to rare minerals, strategic materials, the kinds of strategic metals, things like cobalt that you need in order to build certain types of weapon systems, for example. They just tried to buy, and the Canadians finally realized what was going on, one of the largest gold mines in the world in Canada. And much of all of that stuff yeah. is in this book. And much of it is already being worked on because Bill Barr and Secretary Pompeo, Bill Barr, the Attorney General, and Secretary Pompeo have read the book and they're now acting on it. Well, in my humble opinion, we need this president to continue to be able to work on it. Mm. Yeah, Colonel, it's, it's, it's eye-opening when you look at the depth of vulnerability we have um, from everything you just said on the China front. And when you get into the fact that our current president was the first to actually put up a wall to that unfair trade practice and try to, on the tariff thing, try to make it fair and, and even more balanced where we didn't give everything overseas to keep a balanced marketplace. Um, and then COVID drops. Yeah. And now we have COVID worldwide and we know where it started and, and how it got here. And, you know, I mean, that could be debated left and right, but the bottom line is, if nothing else with the COVID pandemic, if we've learned nothing else is our vulnerabilities and to wake up as a country, regardless of where we sit on the left or the right, um, to preserve what we have and the blessings we have in this great nation. And we haven't seen a book like this come out that really breaks it down from experts that you've worked directly with in the administration leading up to this, not just currently, but, but many, many years. So um, please, before we leave the show, let, let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book. Um, I'm certainly going to, dive in more deeper into it since I just learned of it today and, and dissected and network it as well. But um, just alarming sure. uh, to see, to see the depth of, of what we're dealing with um, moving forward. And this is going to be, this is going to be our biggest challenge as a country, I think, as well as in the world, as you said, moving forward for quite some time, isn't it? Well, I mean, let me just tell you, it is America's number one adversary. And they know that we know that what they're trying to do is cover it up. One of the things yeah. that they tried to cover up very effectively is the idea of doing a secret nuclear deal with the Iranians, right? The only friends that, on the planet Earth that the Iranians have today is communist China. 
And, and Xi is doing both overt and covert action to make it easier for the Iranians to get a nuclear weapon. Why is it that the North Koreans have a nuclear weapon? It's because China's let them, helped them, right. improved, improved on their science on it. All of that's being done by communist China to aim at us, the United States of America, increase our vulnerability on the COVID issue. Look, there's no doubt that this originated there. Was it created by humans or was it just found in animals? Don't know. But what we do know is that as soon as they discovered back in November last year, back in November, they discovered something's wrong here. We've got all these strange cases of, of, of pneumonia, right? And then that what they did is they stopped people moving inside China. But if you lived in Wuhan province and wanted to travel, and a lot of people don't know this, you know, Lamborghini, Ferrari, Maserati, where are those cars built? They're made in Italy. You know who makes them in Italy? Hundreds of thousands of Chinese laborers who were allowed to come and go. Why, why was it Italy the first place to break out? Because of that. There you go. See, yeah. you couldn't travel inside China, but you could travel outside China. And one of the brightest, smartest things that ever happened was the president saying early on was no more people coming here from China. And then eventually banned travel literally around the world from coming and going from the United States. The idea of what the communist Chinese are trying to do, it's, it's very simple. One word, domination. They want to dominate economies militarily and spiritually because they offer no opportunity whatsoever for religious freedom in communist China. So you want a copy of the book? Amazon.com for a discount. Barnes & Noble, Books a Million. Every bookstore in America is going to have it. I, I look at the independent bookstores. And I've got one right down, this, right down the road from where I am. I'm going to bring a box of them over there to them tomorrow so that they've Great. got it. I want to make sure they don't have to wait for it. And, and yes, in the book, it strongly recommends that the only person to carry out a program, not a new Cold War, a, a program that says the communist Chinese government is what the problem is. It's not the Chinese people. And the only president who's capable of dealing with that is the one we've got with COVID right now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is just um, the challenges we're under and the vulnerability right now, especially with, with POTUS having COVID. But uh, we do hear he's, he's going to continue duties. Thankfully um, they say it's a mild case and uh, yeah, we got a fighter there on all levels. So uh, we're, we're, we're going to come out on top of this, but, but again, another hard hit. Um, and, you know, from, from a, a micro view aspect of that same threat. I never thought that this connection would link to the cartels and what we fight on the wildlife resource front, coming back to what you and me and Wayne and game wardens and conservationists and everybody on that thin green line love in America that keeps us calm, the outdoor spaces we enjoy, whether we hunt or fish or not, right, Colonel, just the, the spirituality we get in nature um, out of the big cities, and we've talked about this in many uh, previous podcasts, Wayne and I, is kids that haven't had that exposure to um, wildlife viewing in early morning, sunrise, waterfowl flying over a, a waterway, waking up, uh, you know, deer, deer moving around at, at last light, um, a dog working, don't even have to hunt to, to get something good out of that. And, and kind of get a, a life perspective that, that our, our urban societies just isn't seen these days. And we want to perpetuate that. We definitely don't want it all destroyed by a cartel threat or a poaching threat or anything that, you know, chemicals coming from China, debatable if it's intentional or unintentional or a profit gain. But the bottom line is they're not even firing a shot and look at the impacts that are happening within our borders to our public with these, these poisonous things that we're ingesting. So, um, Big things to think about moving forward for our whole whole country, and and, you, and thank you so much for exposing it and, and promoting and, and getting this book out. Yeah, everybody needs to hear that. I appreciate that. you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Wayne. Yeah. John. Yeah. Hope everybody. And, and Colonel, that. before we before we finish, um, let's talk a little bit about your uh, Real American Heroes program that you just started recently. And given the COVID threat, we can do it safely, remotely, like we're doing this podcast. Great show, and it's kind of new and. Tell us about it, what the format of it is, and what you highlight, and how can people view it? Well, we're doing special editions right now because we can't travel, but we've got a bunch of stuff in the can that we're hoping to be able to get back and follow up on. But if you if you look at, uh, if you go to Real American Heroes, uh, actually, the, the easiest way to do this is go to OliverNorth.com. If you're not a Facebook <laughs> user, if you're not a Facebook user, go to OliverNorth.com, click on the red bar that's above my head, right? And that will take you to 
all of the the episodes that we've done, we've got over 50 episodes in there. Awesome. Usually, nice. we, usually we're about anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes a piece. It's a podcast. And what we've, what we're trying to do is make people part of, look at, there's no, there's nobody alive who's been through anything like this before. And yes. so you've got lots of American heroes who people wouldn't have thought about. Can a nurse standing in a parking lot covered with blue bonnets and blue uh, gowns and blue bo- booties and blue gloves can that be a hero? You bet, because Absolutely. that nurse or that doctor or that medical technician is putting themselves at risk for the benefit of everybody, trying to make sure that if you've got it, just the president's, you know, the determination that the president had it was because they were doing these kinds of tests every day at the White House. And he tested positive, and so did his wife, the first lady. I, I look at those kinds of folks who are doing that as heroes as well, because it only takes one mistake. And then you've got COVID. Right. The good news is it, good, old geezers like me are a little bit more vulnerable than young guys like John and Wayne. And, and the people who are least, least vulnerable is that new recruit in a game warden training course or a law enforcement academy who's going to go out there and become an American hero by going on the streets of, of our country. So what we're doing is we're letting guys who, who do things become part of this story. So that 50 years from now, my grand, my grandchildren can look back and say, that's what we went through. And the, I asked that, kind of, as you know, John, I asked this kind of question. I said, 50 years from now, what do you want your great-grandchildren to know about what you did in the midst of this pandemic, the riots that are going on, the uncertainty in the world? And that is part of what we are and part of who we are. So Real American Heroes, as I say, OliverNorth.com, you can see the entire section that takes you, by the way, to the YouTube site. But we're up twice a week with a brand new podcast uh, every time. That's Excellent. Great. Well, um, I, I've seen some, and uh, it's a, it's a great show. And and it, it the the other aspect we don't really think about, other than telling these individual great hero stories going on now, is it is it's kind of a time capsule for COVID yeah. response, unprecedented, and we just don't see that happening, Colonel. So. 10, 5, 10, 20 years down the road, our kids, our grandkids, nieces, nephews, the next generation of game wardens are going to see this in the new world, whatever that looks like, and, and gain a lot from it. So um, we're looking forward to seeing more episodes. And uh, thanks thanks again for yeah, putting that out. Thank Is you. there anything else, um, anything else on the pipeline that you'd like to talk about that uh, you'd like our viewers and listeners to be aware of or any projects in, in the hopper that you'd like to share with us? Uh, I, I got a couple out there. I'm not ready to share them. Too much <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Yeah. I you know, got you. That's a good right. question, John. Problem. It's a disclosure <laughs> agreement. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're looking at a bunch of things that, that allow me to continue to say, I love keeping company with heroes. Mm, That's what yeah. this is all about. Yep. And I've got this wonderful opportunity that the good Lord's given me to keep on doing it. So yep. uh, hopefully for a few more years. I do promise, I promise my grandkids, I am going to retire at 80. <laughs> yeah. 80. Okay. <laughs> well, you've still, you've still got a lot of fight left then because you got a few years few years left. Lord willing. Yeah, and a lot of it's yeah. just getting the message out there, Colonel, and, and thank you so much for doing that. T- thanks for telling those stories and, uh, you know, telling the American people because that's what they need to know, what China's doing, what, what's going on, uh, what's going on with COVID, how to be prepared, how to, how to live in the outdoors, and how to enjoy it too, just like uh, we all have. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, I've enjoyed it. I appreciate that, Wayne. By the way, I'll call you the next time I got a book coming out, and it's only a week or so away. So, uh, the the ne- the next book is uh, what we call uh, "Heroes Lament." It's it's nice. about it's, we we interviewed a whole bunch of veterans of every branch of the service. Is this the country I fought for, almost died for, mm-hmm. and and trying to encourage people to continue to want to serve? Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's tough. Oh, right now, just think about how tough it is right now to recruit a new game warden or recruit a new police yep. officer in, I would agree. in some of these places so and, tough. and the threats of so-called defunding. Mm. It's, quite frankly, it's an enormous challenge. Mm. I appreciate you guys. Listen, I got to run. I, I do have to take the dog to the vet today because the, <laughs> today is the day. Today's the She's day. That getting I her, getting her checkup. <laughs> well, I've got the heartworm stuff. What, what's the other one? It's a product endorsement, but I need to get the other one for ticks and fleas because Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. We so, don't want any Lyme yeah, disease. Down with that. <laughs> Appreciate you guys. Well, thank you, Colonel. Thanks so much, thank Colonel. You. Have a safe day. You God too. love you.